You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Welcome everybody to the class called uh, Pushing Back Problems. My name is Brent Takeda. I'm uh, in the Singles Ministry in Long Beach. And uh, I'm co-leading the lesson with Bree. Yeah, she's from the West. And uh, yeah, there you go. And I was uh, really confused with the title of this lesson, to be honest, as far as pushing back problems. I didn't know how to really guide it. Um, but after talking with Bree and praying, um, we're actually going to take a very insightful interaction with Jesus and a man with a son who was about to die in John 4. So everyone's turn to John 4, verse 46. All right, I'm going to start off with a word of prayer, even though Bree and I already prayed. Dearly Father, Lord, uh, praise be to you just for the time uh, to get together with my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that your word does all the talking. Uh, I pray that we leave um, our problems, our selfishness, our pride, just really everything at the door, and really come here uh, to really engage with your word, God. Um, I love you so much. I thank you. Uh, thank you for the calming of the nerves, uh, the lack of stutter. It's good, God. I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So going to John 4, uh, verse 46, and uh, not as a disclaimer or anything, but I want to be honest and share that I'm not a man who has all of his problems fixed, okay. Yeah, which is really good, or else I wouldn't see a need for Jesus, right? Uh, but I will say that uh, Jesus has been the legitimate reason why a lot of my problems have been taken care of. Um, I know I can go to like other outside sources, I can go to other ways, um, but they'll be meeting my legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. I feel like Guy Hammond said it best uh, when he came down and spoke with us. Um, but in John 4, verse 46, we're going to look at uh, an interaction with Jesus and uh, the government official's son, or healing the government official's son. In verse 46, this is, Once more he visited Canaan and Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied. Your son will, be, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on, his, on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed while coming from Judea to Galilee. And I love this passage. I love the interaction because the government's official, sorry, the, yeah, the government official has a problem. His son is dying. And in my own study, I noticed that you can't push that kind of problem away. Um, there's different problems that I have, whether it be selfishness or pride, a lack of faith, impurity, you name it, I got it. But I can't choose to push those problems away. Instead, the point that I have is you have to surrender and pull on Jesus' promises. And I love the fact that, the, in, according to my study Bible, it says that the man tra- traveled about approximately 20 miles to get where Jesus is at. To me, that's a long time. That's a long distance. We don't have, they didn't have cars for sure. So to travel 20 miles to beg Jesus and say, 
please come here and heal my son. And all you get is just go. Your son will live. That takes a lot of surrendering. It takes a lot of faith. Um, But the man's problem here is that he thought he knew how Jesus worked. And I can feel the same way. Because if you notice in, uh, in his response, in, um, in verse 49, it says, Sir, come down before my child dies. So he has this problem saying that he knows how Jesus works, that he has to come down to his son and he'll be healed, instead of being healed approximately 20 miles away. And I have the same type of mentality. Imagine yourself as a man traveling that far, and all you get is, is a word or a phrase. And almost, in a sense, almost insulted by saying, unless you people are, see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And I have to go home and I have to tell my wife that? It's like, you know what? Uh, he told me that he'll be healed. I, I get a little upset. But it took, a lot of, it took the man a lot of surrendering. And that's the point, is that you have to surrender and pull on Jesus' promise. Because to me, I want more than just words. I want action. I want him to come with me, heal him, son. Then, I mean, passages later, you see that he goes down with Lazarus, too. But the man had a choice. He had a choice to either believe Jesus' words or not. And just like for us, whether you're disciples or you're here visiting with us, you have a choice to believe the promises. You have the choice to believe God's word. And whether you choose to not believe them or you do believe them, it doesn't change the truth. It's still God's promises. And like I said before, I love to share that I relate to this man's problem, that I kind of know how God works. Growing up uh, in a church, hearing about about Jesus' stories, um, there was a time, well, there's still a time, that uh, I needed my my faith to be increased because I've been dating Zara for about two years and some change. And even like at the time, I decided I wanted to get married. But I was a college student. I had worked at Best Buy. I have one car to share between two of us. The odds were definitely stacked against me. So I was praying to God. I was like, God, please, um, please guide me. You know, please, if, if this is from you, then, then show me this is from you. And that's what I've been taught as, you know, as a disciple growing up, you know, like pray very specific prayers. Um, so I remember praying. I was like, all right, God, if this is from you, I need some financial support. Uh, I'm, I'm praying for an envelope in the mail that has a check in it and it says, go get your girl or go and get married, you know. Um, so I was praying for excess money pretty much. And for a long time, that check did not come. Yeah. And uh, excess money wasn't coming my way. I kept praying, and then I surrendered to God that if marrying Z was not from God, I was surrendered to that. And that was hard for me. That was like, it was dating. I mean, at the time, I decided in my heart. I was like a year, and still, like, I was emotionally invested, spiritually invested. That was really hard, even if it wasn't, to the point where, like, this is from God. And uh, I didn't know how getting married to her was going to work out. But uh, I was talking to my dad, and I was, um, I was sharing with him. My dad and I, just being a disciple has really helped, like, really reinvigorate our relationship. A lot of it has been, like, surfacy, like, let's talk about sports. Let's talk about sports. Uh, <laughs> just a lot of stuff like that. But I feel like being a disciple, really, really like, forgiving him and really helping my heart and surrendering to the fact, like, you know, I can't, have him, I can't hold him to God's standards. I can hold him to the standard where I have to show him that I'm a disciple. I love God. So what really worked out is that I was sharing with him, and I was like, Dad, I really want to marry Z. 
he likes he still likes Z. And um, I was telling him, I was like, I don't know how, Dad, I don't know how it's going to work out. Uh, there's all these things, and I want to get my teacher credential, and that's going to take about two years. I don't, the money that I'm getting now, it's not going to support us for two years. Um, but he's like, you know what? Uh, I want to financially support you guys for your first two, first two years of your marriage. And I didn't go to him and tell him, like, Dad, I need money. But it just really, it really opened up my eyes of how God works. And surrendering to, like, you know what? If it's not from God, then amen. Um, but God proved it to me. And on top of that, he's like, you know what? I know you guys only have one car, so here I'll help pay for you guys' car. He gave me a check for $24,000. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy. So it was a, it, Yeah. And some, guy, some people know what my dad does for a living. He's a CPA, but I don't go to him and be like, Dad, I need money. You know, but I feel like it just really showed me um, just a lot about how God wants to take care of us and shows like, unless you guys see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But it's like, no, man, I need to I need to surrender and pull on God's promises. And during a lot of this time, I mean, there were scriptures that I, that I read and got a lot of advice, like Proverbs 16, 9. It says in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And the promises in Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So again, surrendering and pulling on God's promise. And going back to the scripture, what I admire about the man is that he took Jesus' word, he departed after begging Jesus, and the man needed just a little bit of encouragement, and he obeyed by demonstrating his faith by going home. Imagine yourself in that guy's shoes. But the one thing, and this is a freebie that I, that I was looking at, is sometimes we do just need a little bit of encouragement. Sometimes we do have the faith. Sometimes we have a little bit of doubt. But we just need a little bit of encouragement. And who were the people that told the man about the good news? It was his servants. It says here, the man took Jesus home with his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him and the news that the boy was living. We are servants to each other to each other, that we need to bear with one another. We need to learn to be in each other's lives, love each other, share the good news of deliverance with one another. You know, that's why I love, uh, I love Gary Ross, who does a really good job of this, and Greg Cabling, um, and also, um, um, there's another brother I'm trying to think about. Oh, uh, Mario. Whether you guys are in this room or not, you guys always come up to me and be like, hey, man, how are you guys doing? How are you doing? How's the singles doing? And I love that. Servants who just come to me and just ask me how I'm doing, how's my day, how's the transition, and doing the same thing back to them. So again, be servants to one another. Because I know when times get really, when times go south, I definitely don't beg Jesus enough for deliverance. There's a time I remember um, I got the uh, the dreaded phone call around Christmas time, and uh, my grandmother suffered a stroke about four or five years ago. She used to come to midweeks every now and then. It was cool. And um, I got a phone call, and she said that she was going to ER. This was like maybe the second or third time going to the ER in a matter of a month. And uh, I remember driving to the parking lot, parking in the ER, and on the phone with my brothers, uh, with the roommates at the time. And they were telling, I was telling them, I was like, yeah, I don't know if this one is going to be it. This could be it. Um, she's 86 years old, maybe 87, 85 at the time, maybe. And... Uh, I remember parking the car, and I was really upset with myself because I was praying for strength but not deliverance. 
And I was praying that my, you know, I hope my grandma lives through this. But I had to surrender to the ideas like, you know what? If my grandma survives or she dies, I still have to be here. I still have to be faithful. Because I knew that my grandmother's death would definitely, it could be something that can pull me away from God. Be angry. But I love the fact that after I got off the phone with them, after the brothers, they prayed for me. Um, I just really, I begged God that despite the outcome, I had to act out on obedience, just like the man who went home. Uh, so I got into the ER, I hugged my family, I was right by my grandmother's side, and um, she got a room, and I prayed with her, or, or I prayed over her, and I started reading my Bible. And uh, it really showed me something that, it showed me God's love for me. Because I wasn't going to leave my grandmother's side unless I went to the restroom or if I needed to stretch my legs. It's like, man, if I'm not going to leave my grandmother's side, God's not going to leave my side either. And it goes back to the scripture in uh, Romans 8:38, verse 39. It says, a, "There's a promise here that best reflects this." It says, "For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth." Or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it really helped me. As it turned out, my grandmother, she just had a urinary tract infection. She had mucus in her lungs that prevented her from, health, from having a healthy breathing. And when she felt better, she told me later that night, I'm ready to go home now. It's like, no, you've got to stay a little bit. It's like, no, I'm ready to go home right now. And with tears and a smile, I chuckled and I felt very relieved. Because I saw how God tends to my needs and never is leaving by my side. Just like when the guy who, who left, despite him going, he may have felt alone, but God was right there answering his prayers. So I asked myself, and I ask us to reflect on this too, why does it take me or why does it take us for someone's life to be on the line to, get, to beg God about our problems and believe his promises? Because that's what it took me for a little bit. It took me my grandmother's life to be on the line. I was like, man, I got, I got to do better than that. So I want us to challenge us and to change our hearts by having an honest relationship with God and ask yourself, what promises in the Bible, what promises from God do you wrestle believing? Because what helped me is surrendering and pulling on what God's promises are. Because whatever he wills, he wills. And I will say as a, as a disciple, one of the promises I wrestle with a lot is definitely like um, it says, to watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you will, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And to me, I immediately think of my hearers being my family, being my mom, being my dad. And they're not disciples yet. But I know that there's definitely people that, you know, have helped me help become Christians. And I love when the singles are like, oh, I'm so glad that you and Z are coming to the singles. It's like, we're not the answer, man. <laughs> like, we're not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Um, but I'm so glad of, of encountering more people who are our hearers. And hopefully one day my mom and dad will be disciples. And along my grandma too. Uh, my second notice of studying this passage is afterwards the man's whole household believed. And we've got to start telling people how God and Jesus is working in our lives. Because that's my last point is that we've got to start telling people how Jesus and how God is working in our lives. Because only Jesus can turn our mess into a message. A test into a testimony. A trial into a triumph, a victim into a victory, because Jesus is worthy to be praised. That's off a picture off of Google. That's not me. (laughs) 
Yes. Only Jesus can turn our mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph, a victim into a victory. And Jesus is worthy to be praised. So I encourage and challenge us to go and tell your family, tell your friends, tell a person at your job, a clerk at your store, you do your groceries, whoever, tell somebody. Because it's so crazy at my job, I pray that, God, I just want to be a light to my job. And there's a lady, uh, her name is Fabi. Um, she, uh, she works at the AP, Asset Protection. She's telling me a lot about her, uh, her marriage problems, like between her and her husband. And I was just telling her, you've got to read Ephesians 5. It's great. I have to live up to it, too. And what's crazy is that uh, as I left one day, she showed me a book she was reading. And it was, it was titled something about, something about a woman that Jesus wants or something like that. And it showed me so much. It's like, wow, like, that's my life. Like, I want to show Jesus um, what I'm doing. Not, not because that's going to help me get saved, but that's just going to really help my heart. So it's not enough to say in closing that we believe that Jesus can take away our problems, that we need to live and obey as if Jesus can. But we have to live as though you believe Jesus can do what he says. That's James chapter 2, verse 14 and 24. Faith without deeds is dead. And notice how the official's faith grew. First, he believed enough for Jesus to ask him to heal his son. Second, he believed Jesus' promise with just one phrase. And lastly, his whole household believed. Because faith is a gift that continues to grow. So let us be people who surrender and pull on Jesus' promises instead of pushing back our problems, pushing them away, saying, I'm not going to deal with this. No one, God can't deal with this. And let us also be people who go and tell people how God and Jesus is working in our lives. And now breathe. So I don't know how you follow that. That was pretty epic. Uh, I should have definitely gone first, Brent. We talked about this. Um, Yeah, so I remember when Marco asked if I wanted to speak on pushing back my problems. And initially I was like, I don't know what that title means. And I said, are there problems you think I'm pushing back, Marco? Is there something you're trying to tell me? And (laughs) I had a little identity crisis. But I realized after we talked about it many a times that when I heard the term pushing back my problems, I heard two things. There was the avoidance and um, almost acceptance that this issue is forever, but there's also pushing back as in fighting back and dealing with your problems, that pushing can go either way. Um, And so what I hope everyone gets from this lesson is honestly just a lot of hope and just inspiration that whatever problems you're dealing with, that there is a solution that you can get out of it. Um, And I will be sharing a lot of my life. Um, Someone very wise told me that I am very open, but not necessarily vulnerable. And I responded to, what's the difference? I thought I was vulnerable. And so, as a disclaimer, I will try to be more vulnerable and more emotionally honest, but I make no promises. Uh, It's not necessarily my gift. Um, But honestly, I had a really hard time writing this lesson. I think... It was really challenging once I realized, at least from my interpretation of it, this is more of an emotional lesson than like a directive, um, instructive lesson. Uh, I'm really good with that and giving practicals and direct advice, but discussing how something has impacted me on a very deep level, I don't like to do it. I don't want to do it. I had found every way around it possible, but after many phone calls, Brett and I decided this is the best way to do it. Um, So I'm going to focus on... John 5, the healing at the pool, 
starting in verse 3. It says, Here a great number of disabled people would lie, or used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And so reading that passage, I think we've, it's a pretty well-known passage, um, but it hit me that a lot of times my struggles slash healings and solutions, I kind of keep like my own personal little secret. I have like a treasure chest of emotional roller coasters that I keep and I dish out when necessary if I feel like that person's a really safe person or it will benefit them. But Honestly, I kind of just keep them to myself, and it's very private and very intimate, which certainly it is between me and God, but um, it really, I need to be talking about them, because that's how God's glory is highlighted. That's how God's power is known and shared. Um, Keeping them tucked away for my rainy days to perk me up is not what God intended to use my life for. So looking at verse 3 through 5, it really shows that there's an avoidance of the issue. This man has been an invalid for 38 years. And that he's essentially accepted this issue as a lifestyle. That this is not a phase. He will never be cured. This is his lot in life. And I realized how many times have I accepted an issue as my life is over. I'm doomed. This is it. I will never get out of this. Um, And one of them is that, as some of you may know, I was raised by a single parent. And a lot of times her life, not a lot of times, in all ways, her life is pretty much the template for my life. Um, I don't see anything beyond that example. Um, I see me with kids, certainly, but me married is a very foreign thought. Um, And even to function with a partner is really difficult to imagine. Um, I think it always makes me feel really lonely. Uh, It makes me feel like I'm flawed, that I don't know how to function in a relationship, even on my best day, uh, not to mention on my worst day. And my mom's youngest is seven, and so there's always a million things happening in our family. Uh, But in a matter of five years, we suffered three deaths, and that side of my family alone, uh, my grandmother's sister and my mom's, two of my mom's older brothers. Um, So they were all very traumatic deaths, of course. Uh, But, and then in April, this past April, um, I had two deaths very close to me. I had an uncle and a friend die of cancer five days apart. And... To me, death is normal. I understand death. I'm fine with death. I'm like oddly intrigued, not like a Hannibal Lecter kind of way, but I'm really fascinated in what death shows. I feel like nothing exposes a person's flaws, a family's dynamics, even your own character, like dealing with death. Um, And honestly, what I saw about my family is that we rip ourselves apart at the seams. Um, I have an aunt that's dying in the hospital. I just saw her today, actually. And uh, when I got the call a week ago that she was in the hospital, 
that was the first thing that my mom said to me, but it was quickly followed up with all the family drama that surrounded her being in the hospital. Uh, one of my mom's brothers, who's not the most loving of people, told my cousin, the aunt's daughter, uh, that when your mom dies, I'm not going to help pay for the funeral because they have drama in the past. So that unleashed all this other drama. And I realized that I don't like my family. I love them because I have to because I'm a disciple. And sure, you know, I love qualities of my family. They're kind of cool. But I really don't like them. I don't like how they function. I don't like how they work. I don't like how they treat. I don't like any of it. And I don't like watching my mom be in the middle of it because my mom is the one that stitches everyone back together. And I get to hear about it and see her put through emotional turmoil. And so I say all this to say that watching all of this, I lacked a lot of emotional intelligence. I am very ill-equipped at processing things emotionally. We are a very logical family because we have to because everyone's crazy. And that is basically the extent of my understanding. So relating back to the invalid by the pool, that's how I feel about my family even to this day. That this is the lot in life. That my family will never become disciples. Everyone's going to die before they become disciples. That's what, we're already on three out of seven. All darn in my favor. Uh, that we're never going to learn to love each other and have God as the nucleus. That's just how I feel about it on the regular. (laughs) And um, if you look at verse 6 through 7, essentially the invalid makes excuses. He says, no one helps me. Everyone jumps in the water before I can get there. And I think a lot of times that's how I can feel when tragedies happen or even people are trying to help me. I make excuses. Um, I was leading in campus about a year ago or whatever. I was leading about for a year. And at this time, it was a very emotional roller coaster of a year. And right on the cusp of this, there were the two people dying of cancer. And totaling those, totaling the two plus all the deaths prior in my life, that's nine deaths that I've experienced. Um, but I never had mourned the previous seven. So when the two happened, I essentially was mourning all nine at once. Um, my roommate, Lisa, can attest that there were many a nights where I went to sleep crying and I woke up crying. And I wouldn't have eaten, I wouldn't have gotten out of bed, I wouldn't have functioned if Lisa literally wasn't just putting plates of food in front of me. Like, you need to eat. Like, I wouldn't have existed for a very long time. And so someone recommended that I go to grief recovery. And so, right? And so at first, I was like, oh, that sounds kind of extreme, that's a lot. Uh, and I understood all the reasons for my need for it. Sure, there's a lot of trauma happening in my life right now. I don't know how to process all of this. I'm a lot of pissed off with God right now. Not a little bit, a lot of. And I don't know how to deal with all of this. Um, But the invalid, like the invalid, I knew I needed help, but I was making excuses for it. It's too expensive. That's too much. I don't, that's that's really extreme. I'm not that intense. Just give me a couple weeks. I'll mourn. Um, I've gotten through deaths before. I can do this. Whatever. I'm strong. I've been raised by a single woman. We can handle crises. That's what women do. We handle crises, take care of everyone else, and keep going. That's what I know. Um, and so to take accountability and responsibility for my not getting the help that I needed was really tough. And I saw that I needed to want to get healed. I needed to want that healing and the assistance. Um, and so even looking when Jesus asks him, uh, do you want to get healed? He doesn't really answer him yes or no. He answers with excuses. He never really explains what he wants. Um, I think to a certain extent he's probably used to it. He was probably expecting that that's as good as it's going to get, and I think people only expected him to hear the, to say the excuses, and that was pretty much enough for everyone who asked him that question. 
Um, so I think even going to be recovery, it was the first time, honestly, even as a disciple, and I was just around two and some change at that time, that people really analyzed me as like an emotional wreck, that my emotional side of my discipleship was getting looked at instead of just my leadership and all the variety of laundry list of things that we have to deal with as disciples. Um, and so I didn't really know how to answer the question of, do you want to go to grief recovery? Do you want that emotion to help? Do you want to learn how to deal with this? I, didn't think, I don't think I knew what I wanted. I just was like, oh, this is as good as it's ever going to get. Um, and so uh, in verse 8 or 9, it really says how um, Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. The guy does it. Miracle. Wonderful. Uh, however, I noticed that a lot of times in this stage of dealing with problems, there's, we kind of accept it. We lose hope. Uh, we make excuses, but we also kind of get stuck in our narrow view of solutions to deal with those problems. For the invalid, it was the water. I got to get in the pool. I can't do it. That's it. I have no more options. And I think for me, it was I didn't have any options in general. It was you mourn, you cry, you get back to life. Those are my options for dealing with the crisis. Um, grief recovery was this foreign idea, or just in-depth emotional looking was a very foreign idea. Um, and so I think how many times do we get stuck and our narrow view of solutions for our problems, and don't look at all of our resources. Um, I know if I was the invalid, I would have been very skeptical of this. Like, just pick up my Mac. I've been lying over 38 years. He's probably older than Jesus. Like, excuse me, kid. Like, I'm here longer than you've been alive. Like, I would be so skeptical of him telling me what to do with my life. Um, and I was very skeptical of grief recovery, or just people in general investing in me as an emotional person. Uh, you don't know me. I don't trust you. It was really hard with Z. Uh, poor thing. I was like, you want me to tell you what about my life? You want to know how deep exactly? Um, and I think that just seeing my family and how we function internally, I'm really skeptical of outsiders. I'm really skeptical of people saying they love me and wanting to help me because it's a matter of time before it's family gossip. It's a matter of time before it's thrown in my face and then I'm proven to be weak and incapable of something and now I'm discredited as a human being for it. So that's basically what my family is really good at doing. Um, and so I realized that there's so many options we have as disciples. Um, obviously, we have Jesus. That's like the option. Um, but even referring back to what Brent was saying, that we have each other. Like, we truly have to be servants to one another. But on the other side, like, we can allow our skepticism and our fears and our assumption that they can't relate to us and our difficulties hold us back from the healing that we need. Um, Sometimes we are our best resources because sometimes you don't want to talk to Jesus. You're pissed off at God. You're like, God, you almost blame him for your issues. So you need those people, those disciples who love God enough for you, who can have enough faith for you that you don't even have for yourself at those times. Um, trust me, I, ooh, I have a really strong web now, really strong support system. <laughs> but, yeah, that we can't get stuck in our own narrow view of solutions, because if you try to solve it, and if your one, two, three options don't work, then you're, what else do you have? Of course you're going to be hopeless. Of course you're going to be desperate for anything other than your life and make really rash, possibly sinful choices. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Looking at 10 through 13, they have a... Sorry, my throat. they question him as to who told him, like, who healed him and who said he could pick up his mat and walk. And that reminds me of 1 Peter 3.15, where it says, 
Uh, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Um, up until this point, I didn't really have an answer for the hope that I had. Mostly because I didn't really have hope in this area of my life, but also because I never really needed to. Like, you have your bumps as a disciple, certainly, uh, but to have a true answer for why do I put all of my hope in Jesus, um, a reason that is so solid that the crazies of life circumstances won't shake it. I didn't have to formulate that yet. I thought I had it. I became a disciple thinking that I had it, but it was about two years and some change in that I realized that I had no clue. All the answers that I had were answers that were kind of spoon-fed to me as, these are reasonable answers to have, or things I kind of picked up along the way from other people, but I had informed one for myself. Uh, It was a hard one to do, but uh, I think it's still in progress. But the invalid essentially, and it even says on... um, 13, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Um, the invalid had no idea who Jesus was, um, and therefore couldn't get credit to where it was due. Um, I think a lot of times I don't see how Jesus is intervening in my problems. I don't see how Jesus is providing a solution. I, don't, I just don't see it. And therefore I can't give him the proper credit. I can't give the proper glory where it's deserved. Um, And therefore, my answer is invalid. Um, If I'm saying, Jesus did X, Y, and Z, but I don't really understand it. I don't truly believe he is the one that told me to pick up my mat and walk, and not just told me to do it, but like made it happen, and understood that I was skeptical, understood that I made excuses, and understood that I was hopeless, and had no, just thought that that was my acceptance of life, then what answer am I, what am I really telling people? What is my life really telling people? Um, And so even going back, to what Brent was saying, that that's why Jesus' promises are so important. Um, As you're pushing back, as in fighting back and dealing with your problems, you need to fill in that space, and that's where you pull in God's promises. That's where you build your answer, but you also get the motivation and the inspiration to continue fighting them back. Because I know for me personally, when you wake up crying, go to sleep crying, you feel like your problems are never-ending. It is just a black hole. Nothing exists. Happiness does not exist. Joy It's a lie. And uh, people who tell you that it'll get better don't know what they're talking about. Personal first-hand experience, that is a real feeling and a real lot in life. Uh, But again, that even something that this man was invalid for 38 years, and somehow that was still temporary. Somehow that wasn't his lifestyle. That was just a really long phase. And so even your problems, that's not your lot in life. They are not your lifestyle. They are a phase. You can get through it. Because Jesus is there. Um, but if you have to use your resources, and they are having other disciples around you, it is not making excuses. It is not only needing the help, but wanting the help and taking it in. Um, and, of course, pulling on Jesus' promises. So, yeah, that's all I have for you guys. So we wanted to use this time since we ended uh since we ended here, as far as if you guys have any questions and answers, I know for me I want to be a teacher, but I should have prepped you guys ahead of time. I was like, hey, you know, there will be a QA and a at the end. Um, and again, Bree and I don't have all the answers for sure. Uh, so maybe even like the people in the crowd here can even give answers too. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask if there's any questions, anything you guys had, either what we said, even your own, whatever the case may be. Mr. I <laughs> uh, appreciate you sharing, both Thanks, of you. Guy. That's so, so helpful. 
Yeah, so it's a good question. Uh, to try to recall, uh, spiritually, I think I was doing okay, maybe. But I think what I did a lot was uh, definitely pray for sure. Um, I had people pray for me, like Z, my uh, my roommates. Uh, I was very honest for sure, uh, because I was like, God, I know for sh- I know. And I know there's a chance that if, because uh, there's only a few things that would take me away from God, and I feel like my grandmother dying was one of them, but I got over that. And uh, to directly answer your question, it was definitely a lot of honesty uh, that God, if, uh, if she does die, I can even vision myself giving the eulogy. Wow. Uh, I even vision myself like being one of the, I don't know what to call them, but the bearers. Paul bearers. Paul bearers, thank you. And I, and I visioned myself in that because I had the faith that she could. Uh, but also like living through it and even had like the faith of, and this helps me just studying the Bible with people. It's like I, I envision them getting baptized, like their water, like, oh, no, I don't know how to do this, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> so that helps me out too. Like I envision like even my grandmother getting baptized. Like I've heard of stories where people are like were on their deathbed and they, they just like sponge bath kind of thing. Uh, so even just taking myself there, taking myself where it's, if it's the worst case scenario or the best case scenario, um, because anything in between is pretty much reality. So that really helped me, uh, that, the step-by-step of definitely praying, asking people to pray for me, letting people know, letting people know how I felt, um, and telling God that, God, this is really what's, what's happening in my heart. Because uh, it gained a lot of security, for sure. Because if I ran away with it, if I ran away from those problems, and I, and I, t- and I pretty much lied to God, it was almost like, uh, I can almost imagine, I can't remember the name, who, who slept with Abraham first? Um, what was her name? Not, not Sarah, but... Hagar? Hagar, right. So Hagar, what she did is that, you know, she had like a lot of problems at the camp and she left. And the angel of the Lord came back. She was like, no, you got to face those problems. You got to go back. So I learned that too. Does that help at all? Cool. Anything you want to add on to that? No, you nailed it. Cool. <laughs> Ditto. Yeah. yeah. Was I? Yeah. Good. I can't tell the difference. Oh, thanks, God. Oh, right on. Allie. Anything on your mind? Yeah. I'll answer after this. Okay. Um, wait, I'm not ready. You go first. All right. I'm so far. I do, but it's not formed completely, so you go first. Uh, well, there's a, when you, when you were asking that, there's a picture on my Facebook. That's a long time ago. It's like when I used to first be in the singles. And a sticker on my forehead says, my God is big. And uh, just praying. So I guess your, your question is asking, um, like, wh- how do you get to those specific prayers? Uh, you can get as outrageous as you want, but uh, I remember I wanted to share this another day, but I shared with you before. As I, I was really early dating in a relationship with Z, and I was like, all right, God, if I want to marry her, uh, I know I want to, um, and I know we're going to a brother's wedding. I was like, God, if she, uh, if this, she is the one for me, then I just pray that she wears purple. And we're going, and then she calls me the night before. It's like, hey, what do you want to wear? I was like, well, I'm not going to say purple. That's, that's like me controlling it. It's like, I don't know, like whatever, whatever it is you feel like you want to wear, and I'll just match with you. She's like, okay, cool. I think we chose black and white. And then she, uh, she shows up, and she's wearing black and white. I was like, oh, my gosh. She's not wearing purple. Oh, my gosh. Amen. Let's go and have a fun time. So we go, we go to the wedding, um, and then after the wedding, we're hanging out, and I was like, Z, I'm really surprised you're not wearing purple. It's like your favorite color. She's like, oh, I am. I was like, oh, really? It's like, yeah, I wear it. And, and she, she had it on her ring finger. I don't know if it was the right ring finger, but it was just on a ring finger. It was a purple ring. I was like, wow, if that's not obvious. 
Thank you, God. <laughs> so it's just the purple ring. So I guess, like, I don't know, being, women are very detailed. So maybe a, a more detailed. Uh, that's what I love about Psalms is that it's such a detailed passage, whether it's as honest and, again, it's like surrendering to that, uh, but just being, I don't know, as detailed as possible. Because even though I didn't get my check in the mail, like God still answered. And you always hear about the stories like God didn't answer it in my way. He answered it in a very... And that's what's cool is that you have, uh, just like the man, he had an expectation for Jesus, but Jesus exceeded his expectations. That's really cool to me. So I hope that helps at all. Not a long go. Uh, i got to stop going second. So... Um, I think kind of going off what he said, but there's a book, The Circle Maker, that some of us are reading, and it, and part of it, it talks about prayer has the power to, you're basically cha- praying to change your reality, that when you pray, you can create this whole other life for yourself that you're asking God to stitch together for you, essentially. Um, and so one of my big prayers, which some of you know, is I have been praying that I would get my master's for behavioral therapy um, on a full ride from Harvard. Mm. And... Obviously, that is not my reality. Let's just be clear. That is not my life, okay? That's not a thing. Um, But, like, that is a very specific prayer, but I researched it and looked at the program. It's a five-year program. It's five-year full-paid tuition, two years of paid residency, and three years of fellowships. So I narrowed it down. I'm like, God, I I want this program specifically. I want these five years. I want this two-year of residency and those three years of fellowships. I want, and like, it's a five-year program, and you get your PhD, master's along the way. So I like, I did, I prayed for the reality that I wanted for my understanding, and then I did research in what that would actually look like, and prayed even more specifically, if that makes sense at all. Um, so, yeah, kind of like you said, like, even more, yeah, I guess more details. Uh, but essentially, yeah, just really praying for the reality that you want, and um, in the book it talks about, I forget who, what's, what, what's happening, but God does something, or I think it's like getting the Israelites out of Egypt. He did all that with like his finger, which presumably could have been his pinky, his index finger. Uh, but there's also pa- other passages where he talks about his hand is on people. And so if God is changing people's realities, masses of people with his pinky, like imagining what he could do with his whole hand on you. Um, and so even just believing like, okay, God, like I just need like a hangnail from your pinky. Like that would get what I want. But like there's Psalms. Uh, 145, I think. Hold on, sorry. Sorry. Where are you, Psalm? Yeah, sorry, my prayer list is next to it. Okay, Psalm 145, 16. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. So, yeah, just really clinging to that would be my advice. Mr. Kendall. Yeah, no, definitely. I got a couple of those. Um, my dad is a lot. Uh, he's an alcoholic, and him and my mom divorced before, like, while well, my mom was still pregnant with me. And when I was 10, despite her, he left my life, so I didn't see my dad from 10 until I was graduating high school. So after I graduated high school, we said, okay, we'll try this. I'm an adult. 
we will have an adult relationship. You can't buy me Barbies. That is not going to fix this. I said, I had one rule. I said, you don't get to talk about mom. That is your guys' drama. I don't want to deal with it. Um, and I don't even remember what, how it all erupted. Uh, but there was one night where I have never, like, I was, so, I didn't even see red. Like, I blacked out. Like, I don't remember what our argument was. I was just remember yelling, and this is pre-disciple, like, cursing, yelling, screaming, crying. Like, it was like, horrible like it was a movie scenario and my mom's yelling like what's the matter my sister's running through the house because she thinks I'm being attacked like it was a very dramatic scene and I realized that as much as I had wanted that relationship like I didn't have my dad for 90% of my life I wanted that I felt like I deserved that to have a father figure or my actual father in my life Um, and obviously he's the source like I should get that from him Uh, but I realized that it was just so unhealthy for him to be in my life. Um, And I think there's a level of, that's what makes it so hard of it being your family versus a stranger. If a stranger treated you that way, like, they're making me struggle, I need my space. But because you love them and you have that history with them, it's like like love covers a multitude of sins. Yes, it does, but it doesn't give them permission to hurt you, slash it doesn't mean that you need to accept that. Um, So I had to really find the line of, okay, where's, how do I phrase this? I cut it off when I realized it was just affecting me as a person, that was pre-disciple. So I haven't talked to my dad as a disciple, because I think if I were to engage in that right now, especially even knowing how I am and still sorting out a lot of emotional things from my past, um, I'm not strong enough to take the assault that I can promise you would be launched on me. Um, So I'd say until you feel very solidified and you've gotten a lot of advice and you honestly feel fortified in that relationship, um, I wouldn't open that can of worms. And I think the line really does come in is, is this relationship going to hinder me with God? Is it going to make me bitter? Is it going to build up walls that are going to affect my other relationships, my relationship with God? Or is this going to develop my faith in some capacity? Certainly it could do both to a certain degree. However, one's going to trump the other. So I think even weighing those, if that helps at all. Hmm. Real. Real life. Uh, pick a time. Uh, ooh. Um, I think I was gonna find one. Uh, I think one would be financially. That's a you know general crowd. I don't know a pleaser, but you know, relatable thing. Um, so I'm a nanny, and so I make pretty good money doing so. Uh, but I have really big ambitions and dreams, and I like to travel. So even I was setting up for a really big trip. Uh, to go somewhere, and I couldn't save up, and so I was doing all these million of things, looking up for other jobs. I was going to sell my clothes to, like, Plato's Closet or one of those things, get money back. I had all these agendas, like five things I just knew for a fact was going to earn extra income, and literally nothing worked. I couldn't get a second job. Selling my clothes back was a heaping failure. In fact, I got parking tickets. I, like, was in debt. I owed more money. Like, it was just so bad. Like, it was like, this is not getting any better. And I think it was at that moment that when you're attached to your solutions, that's equivalent of you controlling the problem. Because you're therefore controlling your way out of it, and you're picking the one. or I know for me, I was picking the ones that were going to be the less abrasive, the less emotionally taxing, the less spiritually developing ones. Because they're the easiest. They're the ones that have worked in the past. They don't really have to rely on anybody else. I could just get them done. 
Um, and so I think the breakthroughs really came in realizing, and like this is such a cliche disciple thing to say, but true, like it's not up to me. It's out of my control. Um, and almost kind of not accepting that I was never going to get out of it, like I give up, but I give up trying to fix it myself. Like, like he was saying, God is so much bigger, but also God is really imaginative, like really creative. And like he just comes up with things. You're like, I would never think that solution would work. And so like um, there's a, is it a psalm or Proverbs? I can't remember, ex- uh, can't remember exactly where it is, but it says uh, God's, oh goodness gracious, God's weakness is like even stronger than our strength and God's, something like like failures or God's not dumb, but if God was dumb, he would still be wiser than we are. So like that's a passion of the Bible. You know, I can't think, yeah, you, you, we're here. You know what I'm saying. So I think, you know, something like I really had to cling on to that. Like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. And even if you were flawed and weak and dumb, you would still be better equipped for the situation than I would be. And I think really like, allowing that to bolster, like really be proven true in your life is how I got through those situations where I felt like all of my solutions were failing and that's because they were my solutions. And sometimes it's not even my problem. Sometimes God allows a problem to be in my life for X, Y, and Z reasons. So if I'm trying to solve the God-implemented problem with my solutions, they're not going to work. Only God can put the solutions to the problems he puts in our lives. Does that make sense? Solid. 1 Corinthians one twenty-five. That's it. <laughs> See, was that last we had? We had a, we locked eyes. She knew. You had a question too. <laughs> Well, I definitely want to close today, but I really want to, I hope this Q&A really helped you see that uh, there's a lot of wisdom that way of the stage. Yeah. It's all there. It's right there. There's just two people. Um, but uh, it really helped me see something in life, uh, sorry, in uh, act out in real life when, when Jesus is talking about like the kingdom of heaven is like um, the woman who, who, puts, who, um, who molds the, uh, the yeast into the bread, who works the yeast into the bread. And what's so cool is that being the yeast in, uh, you could say in the world, like, we can change uh, our workplace, we can change where we go to school, we can change the culture just with what you guys are sharing now. I mean, um, we're going gonna, gonna to close out in prayer, and then we can fellowship. But uh, you may not even agree with the answers I may have shared, and that's cool. That's just my opinion. Um, and I would love to hear your guys' too. Uh, but I'm sure that we have more questions towards each other and be the yeast uh, for God's kingdom. Amen? Amen? Cool. Let's go to God in prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, praise be to you for the brothers and sisters in this room, God, and even in the other rooms as well. Um, I thank you, Lord, for just uh, using us as pretty much a microphone for your word. Um, I thank you so much for the people's questions. I'm sure there's more of them, God, and I pray again that Bree and I are not the answers. Um, God, it's just your word that's the answer. I pray you help us to go through uh, this week and the many months to come to learn to surrender and pull on your promises, to tell people about how you're working in our lives, to even consider going to grief recovery and really learn Uh, what it means to be emotionally intelligent, uh, to have people in our lives to really help us um, when we're we're willing to be helped, but we just don't know how to help ourselves, God. Thank you again, and I pray for the the family members that may be a little bit too much for us, that you really just work in their hearts, and somehow, some way, um, a disciple just crossed their paths. Maybe it's not us reaching out to our family, uh, but maybe it's someone else, God. I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. 
For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.